Another two weeks gone, and time for a new episode of Synchronized. Hi, Simon. Good to see you. Hi, Ferry. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. This must be the most international version uh, we've had, because you are near London. I'm in Amsterdam, Atlanta, Iceland. It's like the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> we've got Brian Brazier and Viger Markison here from Pitchhammer. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having us, guys. Good to see you, too. Great to see you. I've got a volcano up my window, actually. Is it active right now? or It's active. It's uh, 25 miles away, but I can see the smoke. Okay, so if we lose connection, (laughs) we we know what's going to happen. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope not, right? (laughs) It's it's good to see you, uh, guys. Uh, We always start with, with, uh, with a pretty standard question, but it's always nice for people who don't know who you are to find out where you come from and what you do. So maybe, Brian, if you want to start off with uh, telling where where you're coming from and how you ended up in this business. Yeah, we we have a library, well-known trailer music catalog called Pitch Hammer Music, and um, another catalog uh, that's represented by APM Music called Annihilation, powered by Pitch Hammer, um, to reach their markets as well. So we have our core client base, um, of trailer market, video games, you know, broadcast promos, you know, all the things that love trailer music. That's um, sort of our core focus, and we're very well known for custom and uh, you're delivering custom music for trailers and and promos and things like that as well. But I come from uh, a background of working for Killer Tracks, which is a large music library, uh, handled their broadcast division, and then moved over and worked uh, for APM and, and started their trailer music division which was they didn't really have a focus on it at the time um and they had loads of trailer music in their catalogs that they rep and um so we kind of you know just formed a division to actually go out and directly hit the trailer clients and build relationships with the studios and the music supervisors um you know to make apm known as a force in that in that market and um through that process i met vagar he was writing for some of the apm libraries and i was just a huge fan of his music when i was pitching it all day um, to clients and reached out to him. We had a coffee and I was also writing rock music for the libraries, not trailer music. And so with some of the APM libraries, um, we were working with West one music, Bruton, uh, KPM, you know, a lot of the different libraries I was doing rock promo kind of stuff. And I asked Vagar to do piano and strings when we were getting to know each other on an album I was doing that needed to sound kind of Coldplay ish. And um, we did that project together, became fast friends, and realized we both had a great business sense, and quickly realized that he was known in in the uh, trailer market as kind of the go-to secret weapon for custom scoring trailers and doing films and things like that. So all of of the client overlap with what I was pitching to all day, Um, they all knew Vegar, and they knew me as a great resource for bringing them great trailer music. So... Um, after we finished that album, we decided we should give this a go on ourselves. And um, basically, I, you know, I left APM at that time, you know, and, um, you know, with with Adam Taylor, who's the president of APM, you know, he gave us his blessing because both of us have been working for APM in various capacity for a while. Um, and then we launched Pitch Hammer um, 2011 officially, um, where, you know, we just dove straight in and uh, been building it ever since. So, so you're a decade old, 10 years old. 2012, actually. Oh, my mistake. Yeah, we we started we we started working on behind the, the scenes idea. on it. 
in 2011, but we, we launched it in uh, spring of 2012. So 10 Nine. years old next next year. Yeah, yeah right. Brian kind of summed it up. Uh, I come more from the uh, like scoring background. I'm classically trained, and uh, my job is to be – I'm one of the composers, and then I, I head up the uh, production and custom division and work on, you know – Whatever music we're producing, whether it's for our catalog or if it's for uh, for custom projects, for video game trailers, theatrical trailers, TV spots. Right now, we're scoring a movie, and we're recording it in a couple of weeks. And uh, so, yeah, and we've also it. got. Oh, I was going to drop in the uh, '80s trailer eyes, so we were just released that as well. Um, so we're yeah, we're constantly working on multiple projects, obviously. So we have a team, uh, go-to writers, and you know, roster of you know, 22 plus writers, but you know, probably a handful that we go to actively on a regular basis, but everybody has their style. We kind of pair people up together or you know, get our guys writing on, you know, Vegar and I map out releases, you know, mainly him with the production schedule and what's needed um, or what's coming up as far as genres. And we just start feeding the catalog as well as filling in with, you know, scoring films and TV shows and video games and other things that we're doing um, on a regular basis. So, Brian, is your, are you facing the USA mainly, or are you facing the world? Or, and are there completely different markets in relation to trailer music? Is, is British trailer music very different from American, or you know, is Swedish very different, or is it now a world thing? How, how does that work? You want to take that, Vega, or you want me? Uh, yeah, I can, I can take that. I mean, I think the entertainment industry in general is kind of – you know, led by Hollywood, if you will. I mean, that's kind of the uh, where where a lot of things happen and what a lot of things a lot of people look to. Uh, but uh, everything is so global today. Uh, there are great writers and companies coming out from all over the world. And I noticed when I started doing this almost twenty years ago, what what was a big hit in trailers in the U.S. was great for sports in Germany and the UK mm-hmm. and, you know, drama in Korea. So it's, it's a little bit, uh, what is used for a specific thing in one country may be used for another thing in another country. I remember getting a lot of trailer music used on MasterChef in the UK. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked right. about that in the past. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to interject there, and, and I agree with Vegar. It's uh, what we noticed. You know, we have sub publishers that rep our catalog in really every tor- territory outside of the U.S. Um, and um, yeah, some of the strongest markets for trailer music for us that we see internationally would be the U.K. We have Boost Music, who does an amazing job for us there, um, and then uh, DNA in uh, Germany, and they, you know, they both both those seem to do very well as far as our promos and just well-received with trailer music, yeah, yeah. as well. And, as, and is the music us. then used in, in reality TV or uh, specific movie trailers? Uh, it's kind of a mix of both. I mean, they're, what they'll do there, they have um, you know, the broadcast markets, obviously, for the major broadcasters, but then also their trailer houses there, which are cutting more of international TV spots, I, I believe. Is that correct, Vegar? I, I kind of feel that's yeah. where we see a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's kind of all over the map. You know, what we design specifically for trailers in the U.S. is used for international trailers, but it's used for a lot of promos, you know, yeah. sports, reality TV, you know, it's kind of all over. Yeah. Um, 
we'd have to dig up our statements to give you a detailed answer. <laughs> it is well, it is. It's a variety of uses, which is interesting. You know, maybe even making a corporate video seem interesting, right? Like some HR video, and now they're using some over-the-top trailer music to make people engaged. What, you know, was it a surprise to you? Like what you said that in MasterChef they were using trailer music. Was it like, yeah. wow, I never imagined that they would use this kind of music in in a program like that? Well, I, I kind of think that, but it it seems like it makes sense because when I'm watching those shows like HGTV or or uh, the Food Network, it really when you see it used, it's making what might be some not so interesting content. It's giving it a great emotion and bringing it to life. Like if you know, someone's working in the kitchen and you know sautéing some chicken, and now they put this <laughs> big trailer music, all of a sudden it becomes really epic. You know, it really does. I think it also <laughs> it, it it emphasizes the drama because those programs are not really about cooking; they're about people and how right, they cope yeah. under pressure. And what your music in that said, well, we've I've noticed this a lot uh, that it's underscoring the drama, if you like, yeah. um, right? And really working well on that level. And I, as a sort of follow up to that, I'd, I'm interested to know how you know, if they use it on MasterChef, how you kind of push the bar further because your trailer clients don't want, we don't want the music that was on MasterChef. We want something stronger than that. So how <laughs> right. do you keep pushing it and making it more impactful? A, a lot of this, a lot of these decisions have little to do with us, especially True. when it comes out of the US. Yeah. It's the editors and I, it's the editors of the shows in each country that have a lot of control. And I've been hit up by editors all over the world with like, hey, I used your music for this, I used it for that. And but like you said, Simon, it's th these are shows about people and it's about getting everyone really excited and, and getting it hyped up. And yeah. and our main mixer, Rob Eaton, uh, who is in, in California, he like when we started working together a long time ago, he said, Vega, your tracks are like an orchestra on steroids. <laughs> so that's how he described it. Everything is just really exaggerated. And at the end of the day, it just works for this kind of stuff. When it's about to heighten the emotion and, and it, I don't want to use the word hard sell, but giving you kind of a hard sell and get you really excited, this kind of stuff just works. Yeah. It has, and we, it, it has the uh, impact needed. Yeah, we try to feed that um, that need just based on – yeah, we focus on producing what we feel is a great need for the theatrical market, um, just because that's been our core. But it's it's great that yeah, the broadcasters and uh, other uses just it just crosses over naturally, and, and we kind of provide the catalog and the tools to the client um, and let them have some creative freedom. Right, the editor wants to maybe use five little pieces of a track as opposed to one full track, and that's fine with us. Um, you know. And just let them, we almost call it editor candy, right? We delivered them. We built a, a catalog and a label around it too called Trailer Fuel, which is uh, really sound design, soundscape tracks that the editor can grab a hit, a rise, a stutter, you know, all sorts of anything they need out of the track. Um, and it's been, that's been a very popular catalog for us and label over the years, but it really gives the gives the editor freedom. You know? So, Brian, when you look at the uh, cue sheets for a typical trailer, would it have more than one piece of music used very often? Then many pieces, or how? What would? Oh, yeah. what, what's the norm? Yeah, I mean, it's very typical that it, it's actually very unusual if they use a full track and just let it flow throughout the trailer. The editor is typically going to pull in you know, maybe a track from us, a track from this other library, and a track you know, from our competitors, and b almost build a session that ha might have 
I don't know, Vegar, what would you say? I mean, could, I mean, it it can be endless. anywhere from three to four up to dozens of pieces of music. Dozens and, in a thread of like two minutes. We actually two had and a half one, minutes. Yeah, yeah, that brings an example that uh, we had a trailer, Evil Dead, uh, which was a horror film, and we got a cute you know, quote request for it years ago, and the editor had just gone crazy and used a splice here, a stutter here, a, you know, just made his own crazy uh, chaotic session out of it which was very impactful when you saw the trailer. Uh, but it, um, I think there were 18 different, <laughs> different drops in that trailer. So we had to work out a deal with them because they're like, we can't pay for 18 drops in this thing. <laughs> so Vega, does that mean that you, uh, as part of your data, you put keys and BPMs and that's really used by people or not? I mean, keys. Uh, we crucial, we do think. put BPMs, meters and, and keys. Um, are they used? Yeah, they're used. But uh, you know, I'm a musician, so I know how. Like, like if you put a key in G minor after a Q in D minor, I know how it's gonna work, going up a fourth and so on. But now I'm already like way out of the general language of most editors the or producers. Public. So uh, I think a, a surprising amount of editors play an instrument and have some kind of a musical talent or musical skill. And a lot of them are like just simply have a great ear for it. Yeah, uh, they're very good with using BPMs and meters. Uh, and it's easy if they find like cues in the same key, but if they if there are many different keys and have to mix them and match them, it gets a little more challenging. But you know, uh, that's where we come in. We come in and help with that too. Um, mm -hmm. And a lot of times in recent years, what we uh, need to do on trailers is like. There's a setup, uh, you know, there's an act one and there's an act two and, you know, there's all kinds of shifts and things going on, you know, 10 seconds of this, three second interlude, blah, blah, blah. But then we go into a big song. Yeah. Uh, so, and the song is often, you know, a well-known song that's playing by itself. But in many cases, like we just did on uh, Spirit Untamed for Universal, there was a uh, wildest dreams by uh, Taylor Swift, uh, where we had to take that song and build around it, put extra percussion on it, strings, brass, a full on full orchestral treatment to decorate it and make it more cinematic. It was great. It was it was a lot of fun. Uh, the guys at Universal are, are like awesome to work with, and um, do you get so access then to the multi track of Taylor Swift or? In that case, we didn't, but sometimes we do. Uh, in that case, we basically provided tons of layers on top of it. Uh, we do sometimes get the multi-tracks. Um, it's uh, it's tricky if it's a song from the '90s or the or or the '80s. Mm -hmm. But it's been remarkable what 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 people have been able to work out with their publishers. So yeah, did we do that on Call of Duty? Did they give us the stems to all those? Uh, yes, we did. I thought so. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so we did that with uh, Survivor, Eye of the Tiger, and what was the other? A Missy Elliott track or something? Uh, Lizzo, a uh, song oh, called Tempo by Lizzo. And we have to, like, obviously treat these elements like gold. Exactly, mm -hmm. because and, yeah. you, you are dealing with other people's creations. Yes. Right. And, yeah. uh, and But those jobs are exciting. They're, they're, a lot of fun. They're a lot of fun. Uh, they can be challenging, uh, but the video game stuff is particularly exciting because those guys are extremely ambitious. 
uh, when mm-hmm. they do their trailers and and the thought that goes into it and you know um, and how they uh, like working with Activision for example like there's there's this huge excitement between the music and the uh, like the the game mode like player gun battle and all the sounds and all that so it's 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 super fun so if if some just backtracking slightly so if a, if a trailer has multiple uses of music um, and the end the editors being incredibly creative and you know, he might end up transposing a piece of your music or playing it backwards or playing it at the same time as somebody else's. How do you keep a track on that from a point of view of like making sure you get your money and it's proportionate to the whole thing? I mean, just, I mean, in, a, in LA, there are about, about between 40 and 50 trailer houses, as we call them companies that edit trailers and, and, they vary in shapes and sizes. Many of them have, you know, some of them have less than 10 editors. Some have more than 30. Mm-hmm. Uh, and all of them have a music department or a music supervision, music supervisor or a music coordinator. And to their credit, they don't mess around. Right. Yeah. They, they take extreme care in creating their cue sheets and so on. And this, so do the, the studios. I mean, they want this to be okay. They want this to be cleared and they want to pay because no one wants to be, you know, no one wants to get sued, I guess. We've never had a problem. Good. I mean, I yeah. think stuff, sure. I mean, stuff can, can slip through, uh, but with audio detection software getting better and better, I'm sure there's stuff that's falling through the cracks, but I think most most of it gets tracked. Yeah, yeah, most if, of it um, throughout this biz has been on the honor system, which is interesting, right? And you're relying on them to report cue sheets and um, you know report and call for a quote in the use. But as Vagar said, I mean, we've never had an issue, and everyone just you know, really, I think at the end of the day, too, no one wants a copyright you know violation, especially on some big trailer or TV campaign, and even delivering it to the network of the studio, they usually require you to deliver that you've got clearance for all the music in the, uh, like you would with a film. Yeah. You know, but I also think gonna... it has to do with the fact that uh, your music is such an essential part of the trailer and right. or even part of the production process and the creative process. They, yeah. they, they want your involvement because that will give the production added value. Well, right. And one, one small trick that I, th- that I think all of our peers and colleagues use is... Uh, you know, whenever we send out a track, and a lot of times it ha- like we get a request and we got to send something out within hours, not having time to like fully tag it or anything. We always have our prefix on yeah. every yeah. file that goes out, um, and people know that PTCH is the pitch hammer prefix, mm-hmm. and I think that's definitely something everyone should consider doing when they send something out. Yeah, uh, to have a prefix or their name or something in there, just because it, there's always a possibility of track going, you know, into Final Cut Pro, into Avid or something, and export it again into another Avid system, and then at some stage the metadata gets lost. But if mm-hmm. if your prefix is in the file, it greatly increases the possibility of it being trackable. Right. Yeah. 
When you're talking about 30 to 40 trailer houses and sometimes maybe 10 or 15 people working at those trailer houses, how many trailers are being produced a week, a month? Do you have any idea? Well, I mean, didn't Hollywood... Uh, I mean, last year, I don't know how many trailers were produced, but yeah. uh, the, there are, I mean, how many theatrical films are done a year in a normal year? You know, several hundred. Yeah. And each, each, uh, yeah, I think five, six hundred a year or something I read. But mm -hmm. then there's like, that's not counting Netflix and everything. I'm not totally sure on these numbers, but each trailer can have a teaser, a 90 second teaser, a two and a half minute trailer, two and a half minute trailer, two, two mm -hmm. and a half minute international trailer. And then anywhere from five to 50 TV trailers mm -hmm. or even more. There's so many different, and they all want new music or most of the time they're, they're all want to sound, you know, sound different and reach a different uh, creative. So it's, or just reach a different audience, but with that trailer, you know, so it's, Good news is it offers a lot of opportunities for music. Yeah, uh, but they must spend for all these they, they must spend a fortune on, on clearing those rights. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, they yeah, do. It's, but that's it's a lot of money. that's why. I'm sorry, Brian. That's why music libraries like you know catalogs like Pitchhammer and and the, a place like we have is it's a one stop shop. It's uh, you know our prices. You know we have our prices, and you know they are reasonable even though they're not cheap mm -hmm. uh, and um, they can get a good product cleared quickly and within their budgets uh, but you know obviously if they want to use the rolling stones or u2 or something they're gonna have to cough up some some so serious dollars yeah so which um, which they're willing to do for big campaigns uh, which is leading me if you don't mind I was gonna you mentioned our other uh, label trailerized um, we had, uh, Vagar and I had seen a trailer, I don't know what year it was, but it was the social network, um, movie about Facebook and they used, um, an editor. Um, I don't want to speak out of term, but I believe it was that Mark Wallen had, had I'm come pretty up with sure a, it was. Yeah. Come up with a, a creative idea. I wish I knew the guy's name. Um, but he, he tried, yeah, they're always trying to change the trends, right? Um, these editors, because they're really the, the guy's hands-on and can yeah. change the trend by using something. So he used a uh, children's choir singing a Radiohead song, and it was so out of context. It was a cover version of Radiohead and the children's choir, and it was just very impactful and just really great use of it. Um, so we saw that, and I don't know, Vegar and I were you know, at a happy hour or having coffee or something. and We were I at said, the we, NAB conference in Las Vegas. That's a happy meetings. hour. That's not coffee. <laughs> okay, that's probably both. That was probably both happy hour and coffee. Yeah. But we, uh, we uh, somehow I just said we've got to trademark the word "trailerized," man, and build a label of trailerized cover songs that are just uniquely geared towards marketing campaigns. Um, so we did. We trademarked it, and not you know not for the reason of owning it and chasing everyone down saying don't use the word because it's a commonly used word, obviously. But it was more just so we own that label, and that's that's our label, you know. Um, so we've been building that and um, just proactively you know, doing these, we'll either proactively or reactively. A lot of times we'll get reached out to and like the Call of Duty thing. And they say, we want you to do this track. That wasn't necessarily a trailerized version, but um, we, you know, because we were using their stems. On the trailerized side, we, we actually use a, a vocal work for hire or somebody, you know, internally um, on our team. 
as a vocalist and just do a cover version, but do a trailer cover version of it or, you know, something that's, um, in that, in that same kind of style. But um, how, so how does it work? Because at, at that point you don't have a deal for the usage of the song, probably for the composition. Right. So you, pro you go through famous songs and you think, oh, this would be great for a trailerized version. No, we actually go a step uh, beyond that because I, you know, the last thing we want is a director or producer to finally get the cut and say, oh, I love this. And they can't, they can't clear the Rolling Stones. Um, or maybe it's way too expensive, which the expensive part we can't control. But what we do try to do is minimize something not being clearable. So we built relationships and are heavily involved with most of the major publishers, a lot of the indie ones, um, and just in, in direct contact with them and um, you know, working with them to say, what's your priorities on your, on your releases? Uh, what's your priorities on your back catalog? Something that's not being used that might be a 20s song or something from the 1920s or who knows what, up to current. And so we'll, we'll actually work with them on lists that are priorities or send them lists that we want to do and kind of get to an agreement. Is this going to be hard to clear? Do you guys own 100% of this? Um, and then we will um, you know, kind of work off of that so that we are at least kind of minimizing the uh, getting the end result and that not being able to finish or be cleared. Um, so that's, that's kind of what we do in advance of even doing a cover. That's yeah. a lot of work. That's a lot of work. It is. Yeah. Investing into a product and you don't even know what it's going to sell. It is. Yeah. So I think but it's when just, it, when it sells, it's typically very worth it. Yeah. Yeah. True enough. And we're yeah. usually, I mean, not to toot our own horn, we're pretty spot on. Like most of the, uh, the covers we've done, you know, they, they end up landing in, in multiple places actually. So we, we did one for, um, the cover by, uh, Ellie Golding. Uh, she had a song called Burn, and um, one of our writers in Vegar, maybe, um, maybe you tell us Vegar, came up yeah, with the idea one, to do that. Yeah. yeah, one of our writers, I mean, sometimes we just get ideas and, and we, we just go for it. Like, uh, this was, um, was it 2018? Uh, a movie with The Rock, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, called Skyscraper with a burning mega skyscraper. And one of our writers said, hey, I love this song by Ellie Goulding, Burn. I'm thinking about doing an epic trailerized version of it in a totally different style. And can you pitch it for Universal? I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, yeah. For this movie. And we're like, great idea. Let's do it. So we did it and we pitched it. Uh, got a good reaction. Didn't land and didn't work. It was a little bit on the nose, you know, burning building and the song is burned, but... Yeah. Uh, but then it's found many other homes since then. So yeah, we've it, licensed that multiple times since then. So yeah. definitely, it's, it's, never, it's one of those. That's a good thing okay. about music creation versus like, you know, I I guess editing or, or shooting film or something. We always we always have a this entity. If it's not used for something, we still have it and we still own own it, and we can we can reuse it for something else. I've I can't tell you how many times I've custom created something that was rejected and then ended up like having a life somewhere else and doing even better than yeah. I thought it would do. But so I'm we've, not... um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, yeah. that, that's it. Yeah. So, um, we, yeah, we just released one and this is one too that, yeah, we just kind of did on our own, um, of eighties, eighties trailerized covers of just great eighties songs, but kind of a unique spin on them, right. That are just, 
make you tilt your head at first and go, wait, I know that those lyrics and because you know, it's completely different. No, but this, this, this sounds great. And I understand how it works because people, um, they know these songs, of course. Right. And yeah. the great thing is it's like, as you said, I know these lyrics, but which song is it again? And yeah. all of a sudden it triggers your mind and it's like, Oh yeah, that's yeah. what it is. And especially the one, there's one in there that, um, don't you forget about me that, uh, we had the idea of you know using a little little girl, nine year old girl that's a friend of mine, uh, John Hopkins, who plays in the Zach Brown band, has a you're studio. Confu- you're confusing songs. Oh, my bad. Which one am I saying? Uh, um, she she did. Uh, Always oh, something there to remind me. Oh yeah. So edit yeah. out that other one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The. Uh, so always something there to remind me. We wanted a, like a, a great version for horror. So it's like this little girl speaking adult lyrics, and it makes you go, "Wait, wait!" I know that song. Yeah, exactly what we were talking about. So it's uh, it's always fun to kind of get creative and just kind of come up with some unique ideas on the singer or the voices, and and then um, you just have these really cool songs that people resonate with because they grew up with them, or maybe they're current songs, you know, that they're living with now. So it's it's just yeah, it's a really fun fun label great so, so we um go ahead we had dan graham as a guest uh, a couple of months ago uh, he's from gothic storm and we were talking uh, we were talking to him about um the hype of the trailer music mm-hmm. um and i think simon tried to uh, reference to that as well just before where's the hype gonna stop how are you gonna keep uh, uh, how are you gonna keep on Hyping pushing it, up it further, even more, and pushing it further. I, I think it goes in in cycles. I mean, I do too. Uh, yeah. Thinking back, fifteen years or so, where like we had you know orchestra and just epic choir on everything, and just it was just bombastic and just like it. Like if it didn't have at least hundred a hundred people on there, you know, we don't want to listen. <laughs> I mean. And then I think it's just got so much of that that people want to start scaling back and 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 taking another out. Like uh, we went through this period when everyone wanted to hear something really cool, but like not being able to identify what it is. Just, what is that cool sound? It sounds amazing, but I don't know what it is. We mm-hmm. have a lot of that in our trailer fuel catalog. Uh, and then this big song trend. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it... Um, I think it is just like constantly evolving and 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 cyclical. But I don't really go ahead, Simon. Well, I was just going to say that. I mean, if you asked somebody, perhaps not that informed, what trailer music is, they'd probably say it's orchestral music, and it's kind of like orchestral music on steroids. <laughs> but uh, the orchestra is. Victor, I mean, it's a 19th century construct and it stems yeah. from. So, why are we still obsessed with, <laughs> you know, brass instruments, string instruments, rather than um, much more contemporary instruments? Why? What, what's going on? Is it because it talks to people? Is it because it immediately does something emotionally? Or I, what I is think it? This, I think the simple answer is it works. Uh, the 80s in Hollywood is a good example when the synthesizers, you know, 70s 80s yeah uh where they just people were afraid they were going to take over and, and kill the orchestras um 
and there are some amazing synthesized scores. I mean, the top one that always comes to mind for me is Blade Runner, Evangelis. Evangelis. Yeah. And uh, it's um, and there are some really interesting ones, but there are some really uh, not so good ones that like don't age very well. But with the symphonic format, the symphony orchestra format, it's just it has this variety of colors and, and timbre and palette that can be used so brilliantly in so many situations. And it's, I think it just reaches people on an emotional level, what you can do with an orchestra. And, you know, it's kind of hard to put into words. It just, it just works emotionally. So we're just pushing a bit more on this vague. I mean, if you go back to post-war, post-Second World War, the, 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 composers working in hollywood at the time were art composers they were using serialism they were using uh very interesting uses of the orchestra and stuff and then you've got the 70s where music was often kind of a blend of orchestra and sonics mm -hmm. and yet now most symphonic music that you hear seems to me very tonal very based in keys it's like the curve has gone it's a retrograde curve rather than a a curve that's opening out. Would you agree? Or I mean, I, I agree with you, and this is just my personal opinion on this. Uh, I think part of the reason why the music is simpler is that the sound design and the quality of all sound editing is way better than it was post-war. Right. I mean, you were we were watching movies, you know, where there weren't really any sound effects. So the music was, you know creating the emotion and hits and, and misses and falling on the floor and it's like animated and so on. And I think a lot of it too is um, many filmmakers and, and I totally respect this. They are concerned with music getting in the way of their story or getting in the way of their dialogue. So that's why some of it is much simpler. Um, and I, I think there are, you know, very, it's interesting to see like the, the the type of composers who are working the most today if they were born 60 years ago maybe they would have done nothing because their style wouldn't have worked back then and then vice versa so it's hard right. to say but i think the evolution of sound and and how every and sound design foley and sound editing like i said and so so on has taken up more room on the expense of the music and i'm not saying it's bad not at all it's just there's more stuff going on sonically in all productions than they were back then. Mm -hmm. Again, just my opinion. <laughs> yeah, but I think also when you say, how, how do you keep pushing the envelope and growing it? It's almost like an artist on a label, you know, major, you have a major artist that's got to keep pushing that they, and follow up that next album and, you know, kind of redefine themselves or not, maybe just keep feeding the need if people love what you're doing. So we kind of try to do both, you know, just continue to feed the need of what's getting used, what people react to, but then also trying to just get creative and, and push it in another direction and see if people react. A good example of that was we're so well known for our action and our horror and our sound design and, you know, the epic and orchestral stuff um, over the years. And we decided we wanted to do a comedy album and we had no idea the reaction we'd get to that. And it's been one of our most successful. Just made uh, me smile. So I know. <laughs> what the would be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we did, we've done a, a fun series, basically a fun label of just fun music, comedy, and just, you know, percussion and 
it, it's been great. So it's just interesting because we didn't know people to react to that because they don't look to us for that. And to, so give, they didn't. to give credit where credit is due, Jen German, uh, our, uh, our, uh, who basically leads our office, our, our director of operations, yeah. or managing director, I meant to say, she came up with this idea, just let's do fun percussion, let's just do fun drum cues because you know she was mm -hmm. pitching music and she felt like you know people were asking for it and no one had it. And we're like, just just percussion i mean that sounds kind of simple she said i know but that's what they need and we did it and it was extremely successful but then again yeah. to be fully transparent we've come up with amazing ideas that we thought would take the industry by storm and it wasn't quite so <laughs> successful okay just yeah. give us one example of that we, i want to know one example which which idea yeah. didn't work what's an example um, of on its face um which idea didn't work well Everything has had, had some some kind of a bite, uh, but uh, you know we've done epic albums like Ascent from Ashes. We did an epic album that I thought was great, and it didn't quite bite as much as we thought it would. But right. uh, you know some of those cues, you know they're they're more timeless, I guess. And you know if it's a three year old cue or a five year old cue, it works just as well. So. Uh, it's interesting, yeah, because we don't really know you know, the rhyme or reason to it because maybe it landed on somebody's on an editor's plate when they've got five other releases like that at the time, and maybe that just didn't yeah. hit. There, you know, there's so many different variables that could happen, but uh, it's, it's hard to say. But, it's interesting the, yeah. the concept of timelessness because obviously some of your music is very of the moment, and some mm -hmm. of it is more timeless. So music of the moment perhaps has a long, a shorter shelf life, whereas I don't know an arrangement of a folk song that you do might last for the next seventy-five years. I mean, is that right? Possible? Yeah, you never know. And it depends depends on the uses too. I mean, obviously, trailers, movies, and those things love new stuff and yeah. what's the latest and greatest. But there's lots of other uses that will dig deep into catalogs and use whatever makes sense and what's going to help create that emotion for satay and chicken. Example. And again. Are you sometimes right? surprised by stuff that you did on your first album, for instance, that's still getting used? Whereas you'd think, Oh, oh yeah. God, yeah. we've moved past that. Now. I yeah. mean, we, that's a good point. We yeah. have a track called bomb trigger, which is a simple action track. Um, and it's got a little bit of a dubstep vibe and Gary who wrote it, Gary Lee, who said, Hey, let's put this out. Like, well, dubstep is still okay. And this was mm -hmm. years ago. I mean, I don't know how many times that thing's been licensed. Oh, it's still heavily used. Yeah, so then so, that's from our very first album we ever put out. Yeah. <laughs> Prior so, to recording this podcast, I mean, I were talking about, okay, how do you look at albums that are successful or specific tracks that are successful? Do you try to analyze it? And do you try to find a reason why a certain track generated a lot of money? Do you guys do that? At, well, absolutely. I mean, we, we look into it deep. Vegar can answer on the uh, on the production and music side, um, but yeah, a lot of it's very planned and thought thought through as far as what we're going to release, what the tracks are going to sound like. Maybe this one had this element, you know, like a ticking sound or a you know whatever a stuttering sound that we know that that works well um, for all sorts of things. So you kind of uh, kind of make the roadmap that way. It, you know from from the way that I work with Vegar when we're doing it, but Vegar can probably answer more on his level working yeah. with the writers. I mean, are you asking in terms of numbers how we analyze the like licensing history and, and stuff like that? I'm just, I'm just curious. I mean, you can see that a certain track has been very successful, and then you probably think, 
Okay, what's what's like the bomb reason triggers. of this? Experience? We make ten more bomb triggers. Is what? It yeah, is. I, think I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. we we look at uh, we yeah we look look at a variety of things, and um, one thing about trailer music that I learned pretty early on when I was writing for others, like I wrote for Robert Etoll a lot, who runs Q Factory in L.A., and he would say, you know, beggars. I mean, stop all this fancy stuff, you know, just simplify it, <laughs> make it simpler. It's trailer music. So a lot of times uh, composers have to kind of put their heads into, okay, I'm writing for media. This is supposed to support something visual over a short time span. So I better get to the point quickly. That's mm-hmm. one. That's that's what I've seen like on, on cues that are, are, are successful. They usually get to the point quickly and the point is simple. It's not like various acts and layers of stories. And then finally, after one minute and 45 seconds, we get into the good stuff. That that doesn't work in our business. Right. Yeah. Uh, right. And um, a lot of times it's also timing. I mean, maybe a track or an album came out where it was used for a big campaign. Not thinking of anything specific off the top of my head now. But there's usually more than one or two or three reasons why something is is very successful. But we all we also take very good care in how we mix and master our stuff, uh, just so it's sonically high quality. And you know, when compared to other products out there, it's it's uh, of a high value and it sounds good up against other stuff. That stuff matters how it's mastered and how it's mixed. All of these mm-hmm. things things matter, but we've taken a dive into the books and see like why is this track so popular and not the other one? And sometimes mm-hmm. we can pinpoint it, and sometimes it's a little bit of a mystery. A lot of times, yeah. actually, if it if it becomes an editor favorite, it increases the chances of getting used repeatedly. If yeah. a, a, like a number of editors like something and keep throwing it in, and it's just like using it as glue in their spots spots, then. And it's Christmas for us, you know? <laughs> yeah, but most of it that gets reaction to Vegar's point is very, it kind of revolves around a simple theme and builds on it. It's yeah. almost like a pop, pop song. Re- reason people react to pop or rock songs, it's kind of the same thing where we got this cool hook and now let's just build build on that and layer it. And But it's the more simple it is, you'll, when you look at some of the history of, I have a book here called The Song Machine and it, it's the kind of conversations with, famous producers and songwriters. It's very similar where they will um, tell you, they'll just come up with a cool hook, whether it be a word or a phrase and kind of build on that and maybe a beat and just kind of layer it and not as Vegar said, almost the direction he gives our writers, just you don't go too crazy with it. You know, yeah. keep it simple. Yeah. And that's usually the ones that are getting the reaction in the same way a song becomes number one, because it's, just has something that we're all fun and like to bop our head to or something, you know? Yeah. yeah. Sounds like, it sounds but, like you're producing a lot of masculine tracks. You, They're simple yeah. and they get to the climax very quickly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> a lot of times within 45 seconds, Barry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we should nice that out. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> that was pretty fun. Uh, so... So, um, so yeah, so we, uh, I don't know what direction you want to. Okay. So I, I'd like to just kind of move it slightly to one, just a slightly different direction. So 
we haven't mentioned the elephant in the room, the disruptors. And I, it strikes me that maybe you're, because you're in a kind of particular niche and with a particular market, that maybe you're not at the moment as challenged by the disruptors, epidemic, mm-hmm. art lists, et cetera, as a more right. gener- generic library is. But um, if you're not yet, you will be, that's for sure. Uh, I wonder mm-hmm. what your tactic is. Well, you don't have to give your tactics, but what your attitude is to these guys at the moment who are cut, undercutting your prices by squillions. Um, right. Can I go first, Brian? Absolutely. Um, we, Brian and I are both composers and songwriters ourselves. Songwriters ourselves. So, uh, and, you know, we have a fair deal with our writers. And, and I think without the composers, this industry just has nothing and is nothing. So maybe we're a little old school, but we believe that, you know, everyone should get their fair share. And mm-hmm. uh, composers normally don't have a union or pension plan, so they write and write and write, and they, they make their money, you know, in the long run. So, I'm, I mean, we're concerned about that um, uh, trend or, or, like, things that are happening. Uh, and, but... We're not going to give in. We're we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna keep going and, and doing it the the way we think is is fair and, and right. And uh, you know, there's always room for good music. Uh, you know, we. So would you, Vega? Would you be ex- expect anybody else to be fighting this battle for you? I mean, would you expect your PROs, for instance, to be tackling this head on? I mean, yeah, I would expect them. To. Yeah, and they, we would hope so. They're yeah. trying and. They say they're trying, and I think it's a, I think it's a tough battle. So yeah, I mean um, these disruptors are doing a good. Or go ahead, Vegar. I mean it. No, I'm, sure. I'm, you you go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say I think we you know we try to evolve, but you know, we're a company that kind of built the company, like he said, as writers and composers, um, and we wanted you know, to build a company um, successfully that also takes care of our writers because we you know. The more you keep uh, the creative happy, the better the success is going to be, right, for everyone. But um, I think there's a place for you know, the epidemics um, and you know the artist artist list or artist IO and some of these some of these royalty buyout. I mean, there's a place for them, and it, it'll be interesting to see. But I don't. We haven't been directly hit by it or affected um, or impacted by that yet um, that we know of. But it's um, so, yeah, so I think we just keep. Brian, are you aware that they're actually competing with you? Because I would say here in the UK, you know, with the major broadcasters, um, as a traditional library owner, we are now mm-hmm. being, you know, they are the competition. They're actively on the same desk at the same time. We're competing with them. And so, I mean, is that the But it's not really any different, though. It's not, I mean, or correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not really any different than um, US all going to, uh, you know, a major broadcaster um, here in the U.S., right? And there's, they're usually going to have maybe a handful of, well, I say handful, maybe ten to fifteen libraries, right? Yeah. That they'll sign on, sign on for blanket deals and you know pre-negotiated rate deals or whatever the case may be. Um, but yeah, there's, it's kind of like that same battle where you just got to fight for your fair share and and um, you're providing the editors with just a variety of content, especially in a large, a, in a large company like a broadcaster that may have multiple channels and cable channels and all sorts of needs that they've got to fill. So they need, they need a variety of music in all genres and at all price points. And, um, 
like I said, I mean, some of our biggest promos going back to the pricing is, you know, we have deals with a lot of the major broadcasters, um, you know, for their promos and, and in-show stuff. Um, but they also have budgets to do these trailer eyes when they want to do a big promo. Um, you know, they'll, they'll pay for the big imagine John Lennon song, which we landed in, you know, a Tokyo Olympic spot. Um, so they, uh, I think there's room and I, I don't know how it is, you know, in your market, um, are they a direct competitor where they're basically taking over and they're not signing other libraries at the broadcast? No, it's not quite like that. Um, okay. We are competing. It just feels like they're kind of graining traction, really, and that, that the idea of um, cost being a, a real major factor with the major broadcasters, which wasn't the case before because there was a blanket amount of money. That, Interesting. Uh, yeah. that, that's and what is, what is the model that um, is – what is the model? Are, are you, do you know as far as the pricing, as far as epidemic and artists? Do they go in and offer it gratis, and then you know, just take the performance? Well, there are di there are different, uh, business different models, models I, I think. Okay, uh, you can have uh, like they 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 give the sync for free, and they generate the back end income, and that's the income that they uh, can keep. Right. Um, or uh, as epidemic uh, sound does, is they make a deal with the broadcaster, uh, they pay uh, a lump sum. And then mm -hmm. the the music is non PRO associated, oh, so the broadcaster can go to their PRO and say, "Hey guys, we're using ten percent less PRO music, so we want our our uh, invoice uh, go down by ten percent." Right, we want a credit or give the broadcaster a credit, which helps yeah. them, right? Because yeah. now now they get a, a discount on their blanket license. Yeah, I see. Yeah. I think I think with the big difference is with what you guys are doing, you're more hybrid because it's not just production music that you offer. You have production music, but mm -hmm. you do a lot of custom work mm -hmm. or you um, modify the, uh, the production music that's there. So you're more mm -hmm. creatively involved with the end product. That's right. at least what, what I understand from what you've told us. Yeah. Yeah, it's true because we can customize our tracks. We, you know, whatever the, whatever needs to be done more as a service, right? As opposed to just, here's a bunch of music and you guys, you know, which we have that side of it because some clients just like to take it and run with it and do whatever they're doing. But, um, but we're always here to, you know, customize existing tracks or create something from top to bottom, brand new and, um, you know, just keep growing it, growing it that way. And I think that's probably what helps distinguish us or set us apart. But uh, Another question for you. Uh, there are a lot of streaming services, of course, now that do a lot of mm -hmm. trailers. Is that different than the um, standard Hollywood trailer production? Uh, well, I'll, you may start that beggar. Uh, no, you go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so it's, I wouldn't say it's different. I, it's um, a lot of times it's done like, especially in COVID, we, we were noticing, you know, where they were, they had content that they didn't want to put out because the theaters were closed, right? So they would shelve it for a period of time and then time kept going on and when's this thing going to end? Uh, but they started releasing a lot of it through these different outlets, right? Either on demand or Netflix or Hulu or Amazon, um, all the different various streaming services. So the trailers we would still create, you know, we, we might get a brief um, for a trailer and create, create a custom piece for it. Um, and then it might just, instead of going to the theater, now it's landing um, you know, in front of another show or something on a streaming service. Um, so it didn't really, I don't think it really changes the format of that at all. No, the, um, the, the process for the work is, is pretty similar. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, they're, you know, HBO is a good example where they, you know, they're pretty ambitious when they do their, 
promos and trailers. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, we may be either creating something original or a lot of times we're working with songs. And, right. uh, but, you know, in many cases, you know, uh, one trailer house, two, three, maybe even four trailer houses may be creating a concept or a campaign for the same series or the same movie. So, and we may be working with a trailer house that gets the job in the end, or we may be working with a trailer house that loses in the end. So then, you know, we may have demoed something or, or done significant work on something that, that didn't go. And then again, it comes down to, you know, the good thing about the music, at least we could take some of the stuff we were doing and, yeah. and reuse it for our library or do something with it. Right. I've got a silly question, but say, Vega, somebody takes a really lovely string stem that you've used, yeah, and then they put another library's rhythm track under it. How do, mm-hmm. do you both get a hundred percent of the royalties, and does, you know, or do you get fifty percent each? Well, how does that work? They, they'll yeah. quote. I mean, we get a quote. We give out a quote for the. Uh, Brian can probably answer it better, but we give out a quote for the track, and you can use one or all twenty stems from it if you want to use one. You you pay for the price of the uh, for the um, what it would for have been emotion. for using the track. I call it the emotion. You're paying for the emotion, yeah. so whether that's whether that's a drone or a hit. I mean, you might pay less. We're going to obviously okay. work and be re- be reasonable. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we have that quite often actually, where a client maybe just uses a couple of stems, like a piano stem and a you know a uh, a violin or you know the orchestra or something. Yeah. And yeah, they'll will basically they'll send us a request. The same way they would if it was the full track. Yeah. Um, and then we just work work with you know, the quote to be reasonable and based on whatever the use is and the need. So um, with your but, um, with your library music, not not bespoke, but your library music, do you always give stems, or do, is that something that you occasionally do, or is that something that you always do? Always. Yeah, we've we offered it yeah from the beginning uh, in launching our library just because we wanted to give the clients you know full access to the tools to be creative on their end as well. And just be a you know be a good service to them, and then we so from the from the get go we tagged all of our stems and made sure they all had metadata so they didn't get lost. You know if the PROs got them, and um, so that we could also get proper payment for them as a track um, if it was used in a you know a cable yeah. you know, promo or show or something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yes. Um, so yes, we do. We offer it. Uh, actually, yeah, we offer it to all of our clients. You know, with every album that we do, all the stems. So if you say a track has, I don't know, say 10 stems, if you layer them all up at the same time, does that equal the main track? Is that the, the, the idea? I mean, if you play it equally, everything that's at unit, unity gain that comes out as the main track, is that how it goes, Vague, or is very it tra- import, Very important question, because we're yeah. in the trailer industry, it is not at unity gain, because all the stems are mastered. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. If you play them all at the same time, they are a little bit over. Yeah. And it's just, uh, you know, there is a certain loudness war in the trailer business. So, I mean, a good example of like isolated uh, license would be like a a big hit or a big rise or, you know, a big orchestral ramp up or stutter sound effect glitch or something like that. And because they use isolated stems so much, we decided that we just would master all stems so each stems can function on its own. Yeah. 
Okay. So, and I was quite concerned in the beginning about doing it this way, but clearly other libraries do it as well because not once in nine years have we gotten a comment or a complaint about that. Everyone, in <laughs> fact, loves it. So, not a dumb question at all. A very important question no. because I think a lot of a lot of people wonder about that. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes yeah. sense, of course, because the the stem on its own should have the same impact as whether it it, it was a track on its own. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's simply they still line up levelly, but you just bring the level down, and there you've got your. You bring the level down between like two and six dB, and then you're good. That's right. a tra trade secret, Vega. They just gave I it away. gave away all those. <laughs> exactly. Well, this yeah. is a ma magician telling how, how his trick works, right? Right. <laughs> well, I don't think this is any. I don't think this is any mystery to people. But if it was, yeah. now it isn't. This brings us to the end of this episode of Synchronized. Um, and and before we go, this is this is first. I want to do a little quiz. Is that okay with you? Because you guys are really into movies. Okay. Right? Because okay. you're into trailers. Um, uh, you can't win anything except okay. eternal fame. It's it's like oh. the Bengal song Eternal Flame, but then Eternal Fame. Nice. <laughs> I'm gonna have four I might quotes. let Megar take these. I'm not great at trivia, but <laughs> okay. Four we'll give it a shot. And I just want to know which movie. Houston, we have a problem. Apollo 13. That's a winner. I see dead people. The sixth sense. Oh, well, that's going to be easy for you, Viger. I'll have what she's having. When Harry met Sally? Wow, I'm impressed. Wow, I'm impressed. I am too, man. <laughs> and the last one. You can't miss this one. Go ahead. Make my day. Dirty Harry? Dirty Harry? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've got winners, I got, Simon. We I got, got one. We, got we get eternal fame. <laughs> I'll <laughs> have what Simon is having. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, I, I just... Happened to catch that on TV like less than two months ago with my wife by chance. So it's fresh in my head. Very good. That's awesome. <laughs> guys, well, thank, thank you very guys. much for an entertaining uh, uh, hour. It was great talking to you. Very informative. Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank, you for, ha thank you for having us. Follow Pitch Hammer on all the streaming services we just launched. And um, yeah, you can search us on Pitch Hammer. And we'll thank you. In, uh, in the social media post when we post this. Thank okay. you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye.